Well, welcome to the program, Janet Smith. Hi, Janet. How are you today? I'm okay. Thanks. I think that this is important enough. Let me call Janet. And sure enough, like within five minutes, now we're on the phone talking and we're doing this interview. So uh, has it just been kind of a crazy few days? Yeah, I, uh, I've i tried not to be glued to my uh, media, but um, I find that every time I do get on, it's just, you lead, as you said, I uh, one link leads to another, leads to another. There's been some excellent writing, excellent things that people put up. Um, and then there are, as you say, just a lot of heartbreak uh, being expressed, a lot of heartbreak and confusion, distress, um, and, I, and, not, and this isn't all just people who are devoted to the TLM. I, there's a lot of people who understand um, the importance of this liturgy to the church, even if it's not something that they uh, are drawn to. And so there's, it, it, there's a lot of people that are, I mean, I, in my Twitter feed, I'd say two out of three uh, tweets are about the TLM right now. So what we're talking about, uh, uh, this is Professor Janet Smith. I'm talking with today on Sound Insight. She's referring to the traditional Latin mass, folks. As you listen to this, you you know, as as you've heard Janet and me talk about this uh, when I've interviewed her, as well as um, the many times that Carrie and I or I have talked about the power of the traditional Latin mass in our own lives. Well, on Friday, there was a document that came out called Traditionis Custodis, um, by Pope Francis. And this document um, had to do with a new type of restrictions associated with priests and parishes where the, the extraordinary form of the mass was being celebrated. And so um, what Janet's referring to is the way in which this document has led to like some intense reactions on, can we call it both sides? From on both sides of the of the aisle and the both pews, those who are um, have a deep sense of devotion and love for the traditional Latin Mass, and for those that are, and so they're they're horrified and 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 a bit afraid. What does this mean? And then you have the folks who are on the uh, Novus Ordo side, uh, the new Mass. What what most of us listening here are still accustomed to doing um, only. Um, or maybe most frequently, and, um, and are listening to the way in which the, the adherence to the traditional Latin Mass are divisive, are doubting the value of the Second Vatican Council, things like this that are being made as claims. Um, do, how's that for a summary, Janet? How would you kind of characterize sort of what was said and then sort of what's the aftermath and, and how should we kind of get some balance and, and, and kind of not lose... Uh, not lose a sense of um, a balance around what's actually happening. Why is balance so important, Tom? (laughs) I mean, I think we want to, you know, a sober, honest uh, judgment. I want us to have the proper hope uh, in the Lord and what he uh, does through us and for us. But it seems to me it's, it's, um, it's an incredible blow uh, to the faith of, of, so many, not, not faith in the sense of how we believe, but the, the, how we worship, uh, which is no insignificant thing. Um, so many people, at least on the threads that I have on Facebook, seem to think, well, as long as the Eucharist is valid, that's enough. And you shouldn't really want anything more. And you want to say, I don't, I don't see the church has ever said that. Um, and it doesn't seem, you know, that in scripture, 
the Old Testament particularly, the way that we worship God is very important. There's a there's an argument to be made to say that we're here on this earth to worship Lord, the Lord. And that's what we're here to do. And of course, since we want to do it in the most beautiful way possible, in the most faithful way possible, then people say, oh, you're, you're dissing the, um, the Novus Ordo. And I, I'm saying, well, you know, whenever you have two things that are purported to be the same, you know, you have all these contests all the time. My mother's apple pie versus your mother's apple pie. You know, one of them's going to be better than the other. You, know, you don't want to say, I'm not trying to put your mother's apple pie down. I'm just saying one is better than the other. And um, but that's not neither here nor there. And in, in a certain sense, this is the mass of the church. It's been the mass of the church um, since its very earliest days. It's in not identical, by, but stretch further stretch of the imagination. But as those who write about it and historically have studied it, it's in, you know, organic continuity um, with the very earliest modes of worship in the church. It, a very truly organic um, continuity. Yes, it's been developed. And yes, it's been beautifully developed. Things have been added. Uh, it, uh, I don't doubt that there's that it will be tweaked forever in certain respects. But it's something that every Catholic everywhere up until 19, whatever, 65, 1970, um, worshipped. I, and why that could ever be taken away from us uh, just doesn't make sense. It just when when you know when Benedict gave it back to us and said it never could, should have been abrogated. It can never be abrogated. Um, everybody was. I mean, not everybody, but anybody who had any idea of the importance of the mass was so relieved, and that was such a unifying act. It brought so many people back into their churches and, and back into their parishes. My parish has um, three or four, four um, or Novus Ordo Masses every Sunday and one traditional Latin Mass. Uh, it's packed. It's absolutely packed. Uh, that's brought people into the church. It's, it's, and it's not divisive. It's unifying. We all worship in the same space this is the church of all of us it's not as if we're off at one church and they're off at another church and so many people go back and forth many people have no problem one week doing the novus ordo the next week doing the tlm so um yeah i think you portrayed it correctly though i i, I don't know that many people fully realize how deeply deeply devastating this is uh for people who had finally had some consolation um, in the last couple of years in respect to the, uh, the liturgy. I mean, I know that the Novus Ordo can be said um, reverently. In fact, I live in an area now where that is normally the case. There's almost never anything that would make you just want to scream. But I'm 70 years old, 71 years old. I've known the, the Novus Ordo for added up 55 years. Um, and um, much of it has been absolutely horrible. Uh, when I went, was I taught at Notre Dame for nine years, and you never knew what was going to be done at the liturgy. You never knew if there was going to be none standing by the priest concelebrating. Um, you never knew if you were going to be asked to come up and stand around the altar. You just never knew. Um, luckily, I think those days are behind us. But uh, so people, people don't know what it's been like uh, for those of us who lived during Vatican II and have lived since then till now, and what a relief uh, Benedict's permission 
And it wasn't even a permission. It was just acknowledging that never should have been unpermitted. And people say, well, priests have to, everybody has to get permission to say them. I say, no, it's default that a priest can say the Novus Ordo. And all Benedict was saying is it's default that priests should be able to say the, the traditional Latin mass. It's not something you should need permission for. It's the mass of the church. Well, and, you know, I'm talking with Janet Smith today about this motu proprio, about the um, the new restrictions being placed around uh, the uh, celebration of the traditional Latin mass and what are we to make of it. And, you know, Janet, when you mentioned um, Pope Benedict's um, motu proprio, the Samorum Pontificum, um, and how it opened up the freedom for priests to celebrate the traditional Latin mass when it was requested by the faithful that um, we saw that happen here in, um, in the Diocese of Spokane. Um, there are several priests who do exactly what you mentioned. They have the um, Novus Ordo Mass, right? The Mass everyone typically is accustomed to um, with the priest facing the people in, in language, in English. Um, and then they'll have one Mass um, a week on Sunday. Um, it, that's the traditional Latin Mass, the extraordinary form. And and you know what? It's it has been a wonderful source of renewal and revival of faith, and of I want to call it sustaining faith and recovering faith for for many families. Um, it's funny because I think uh, Janet, you and I, um, you know, we both had a commitment to like wanting to foster the faith of Catholics um, in the um, reception of Holy Communion and of the worship of the Lord at Mass. Um, when before we um, discovered and like sort of made more of a commitment to um, to seek out and to worship in the traditional Latin Mass. So when I think about when Pope Benedict's um, document came out about 14 years ago, 13 years ago, it didn't really mean a lot to me. I was like, oh, that'll be helpful for some, you know, sliver of folks that um, that for whom that's, uh, that's their thing, right? But all I can say is in the last couple of years, the awakening of faith that has happened, the deepening of faith, the recovery and practice of um, worship of the Lord at the traditional Latin Mass has done so many wonders for my family that it's like, why did I not appreciate this before? And thank God that I'm appreciating it now. But boy, I don't feel like I fit any of those boxes that are being checked seemingly against those who attend the traditional Latin Mass. Um, narrow, judgmental, harsh, uh, hy hypocritical of Pope Francis, denying of the Second Vatican Council, right? All of these things. I'm like, wait a minute. That's not me. That's not my family. That's not the family in front of me at Mass. That's not the family behind me at Mass. In fact, I'm trying to think of the families that are at Mass there, and so many of them are like me, sort of late discoverers of the traditional Latin Mass and how it is so very refreshing and life-giving. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think there are people that um, fit that description that you gave that you're not, um, but they are minuscule. And, and um, since... You know, since the, the uh, Benedict's opening it up, the places, the traditional Latin mass has just been overtaken, overtaken by these new young families. And they have none of this attitude, none of it. 
And you want to say, in a, 14 years is a very short period of time in the history of the church. And I would say, if it, to look at it, I, I just wrote a column for the National Catholic Register um, uh, pleading to the U.S. bishops, uh, a, a surprising number of whom, and I think the majority of whom to this point, are saying, keep going. Just the status quo's in place until um, we study the doc study matters. And I'm going to say, you know, Pope Francis said that he did a consultation with the bishops of the world and um, through it discovered this problem of divisiveness and has therefore decided to, not just for a temporary period of time, but he wants to basically eliminate um, the traditional Latin mass. It's not a punishment that's so hurt for a short period of time. It's depriving it of everybody everywhere at all times in the future, because there's some people now who are reportedly divisive. Well, I want to say to the bishops of the world, please do your own study of your own diocese and talk to the priests who offer the mass um, in parishes. And I think you will find that they have found it to be an overwhelmingly positive development in their in their churches. Um, again, the, as you said, I mean, I just am stunned every week just sitting there watching, you know, family with three kids, five kids, seven kids, two kids. All I see are, are big families. That's all I see. Um, and young families, young families with only a few kids, but on their way, way to many. And I'm, but I was thinking there does seem to be a, a cross pollination between the Novus Ordo and the TLM that's been very um, salutary. Uh, the the Novus Ordo has gained much greater dignity in the last couple of years. There are priests who celebrate the Novus Ordo ad orientum. They put up a communion reels. People receive communion on the tongue. They put more Latin um, in the mass. Uh, all to the good. All to the good. Yeah. Well, what? The, wait, no, let me no, just finish. They, oh, go ahead, yeah, please. go ahead. No, just you can go ahead if you because I just want to come back. I my problem is I forget. So let me just just continue with just a little bit that um, at our our traditional Latin mass, um, people sing with gusto. They sing the Gloria, the Credo, all right? They sing the Sanctus, they sing the Agnus Dei. They say the non subdignus. Of course, they we all chime in every time there's an et, et cum spiritu tuo. I think it would be appropriate for us to sing or say the Confidior. I think it would be appropriate for us to <clears throat> sing the Paternoster, all right? And I think it's because of our experience of the Novus Ordo, we've been, been accustomed now to... Um, you know, singing or saying these prayers in the liturgy. Most of the quiet in the TLM that I go to is when the canon starts. And it's just after you leave the first part of the, the mass, um, then there's all this silence that descends upon the church. There might be the, the choir doing a, a chant, but it's also contemplative. It's also peaceful. And so you have this I, I do think sort of this idea of some participation, active participation has come into the TLM, which is what um, Vatican II wanted, uh, but it still retains its character of a mass that is so quiet and so reverential. So I, I want to say, if you look at it, there's been, there's been some very healthy cross-pollination between the two forms of, um, I, I'm not convinced at all it's the same, two forms, but less that's how the church speaks of it, two forms of the, of the liturgy. And it's been, been positive. I was just talking to a friend who's been a TLM person forever, but she says it's been so healthy since Benedict's statement that, 
Novus Ordo people now don't look at us as a threat. They say, oh, yeah, you're a very legitimate, this is a very legitimate liturgy. And if I want to come, I can. I don't feel like I'm sneaking around or being disobedient. And I can I see people in, in the Novus Ordo that are very happy sometimes going to the TLM. So I don't find that a threat anymore. And of course, the TLM people say, yeah, we're in the parish now. We don't have to go to a gym. We're in a parish now. We feel welcome. We don't feel like we're marginalized and we're some sort of freaks because we like um, the mass, what I love to call the mass of the ages. Well, and you know, Janet, the, here's the interesting thing. So here I am in the state of Washington, right? Not known for, uh, not known as a bastion of conservatism. And yet you have in the Archdiocese of Seattle, two FSSP parishes, and they are both full and flourishing. And so thanks be to God for Archbishop Aachen and his willingness to allow them to be there and to continue to operate in their ministry. And so I just want to encourage Catholics uh, that appreciate the traditional Latin mass in the Archdiocese of Seattle, um, if you have been touched by the ministry of the uh, Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, please contact the Bishop's office, um, make a phone call, ask for an email address, write a letter to thank the Archbishop for that permission and for the um, continuance of that ministry in the Archdiocese of Seattle. Out here in Spokane, um, you have Bishop Daly, who has welcomed the Sacred Liturgy Conference for more than one year, where there has been, you know, maybe the most significant single uh, conference that happens on an annual basis to help promote and foster an appreciation and a spread of the traditional Latin Mass. And recently, he also welcomed into the Archdi into the Diocese of Spokane um, a um, like a new um, religious community that um, that celebrates the traditional Latin Mass. Um, that's right here in Spokane, and then just across the. And so again, folks, if you appreciate the fact that he gives permission to, you know, the Father Gaines and the Father Tuckerman and the other priests in the diocese here that are celebrating the traditional Latin Mass with his support and approval, write to Bishop Daly, call up the the diocesan office, ask for an email address, let him know how much you appreciate. His diocese, that he permits his diocesan priests to celebrate the traditional Latin Mass and that he supports the traditional Latin Mass in these variety of ways. And then just one last thing, folks, if you're in, uh, if you're listening in Idaho or if you go to St. Joan of Arc uh, in Post Falls, that's part of the Diocese of Boise. And Bishop Christensen, he's down in Boise, uh, way far away. You write him a letter and you let him know just how appreciative you are that the priestly fraternity has been permitted to operate and to um, have a parish here that is growing in ways that are just almost unfathomable. People moving here from across the country on a weekly basis is just really stunning. So thank the bishop. Thank Bishop Christensen for his support for the traditional Latin mass happening uh, in the Diocese of Boise. There's, there's something that you can do to say, okay, this document has come out, that doesn't mean that even anything has to change for your diocese, for your parishes where this is happening. So that's just an encouragement, Janet. Well, I think that's very important. I, I think that some people 
evidently a few bishops are under the impression that they needed to stop the Latin mass um, on Saturday. It was done, over um, in their diocese. Uh, as I said, most of the, the statements I've seen from the bishops in the U.S. are not taking that stand. And uh, I, I think it's Canon 87 uh, that says that a bishop can, you know, uh, permit any liturgy in his his diocese if he uh, believes it's necessary for the well-being of his and the faith fostering the faith of his his people, and it wouldn't be being disobedient to the motu proprio, and it, which also reiterates that it's the bit, local bishop's decision about what liturgies are to be said um, in his diocese. But again, one of the most disturbing things is that. Um, the, it, the motu proprio says that it's not to be said in a parish church or that no personal um, uh, parishes are to be to be set up. Uh, and you want to say, I, there's nothing I find more wonderful than going to Latin Mass at my own parish. This has been my parish. And I go with the people who are my friends and some of them have discovered the Latin Mass. They never knew about it until it showed up at our, at our parish. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be shunted off to some some place as if we're, you know, some, people are using the term, you know, sort of lepers. You can't mix with us. We're too weird. We're too strange. Um, well, Jay, and, let me ask about that because I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't read the document like that. Maybe I didn't read the right commentaries, but I, my sense was that um, what the Pope was saying was, you can't start. Oh, let's open up a new parish over here, Saint, you know, Saint Elizabeth. And that parish will be the traditional Latin mass parish. So they won't establish a parish with that as the intent, but that if a diocesan parish is to continue having the traditional Latin mass, it's that the priest who is presiding needs to um, come back to the bishop first, get permission, and then it can continue as normal. Is, is that the way it was? I thought that's what it said. I, 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 I don't think so. I, I'm, at my computer here and I might be able to pull it up, but it, I think it says it cannot be held in parochial churches and no personal parishes can be, um, in, you know, um, in, established. Established. Thank you. Established. Exactly. So that part, and, I think I got, it's really that first part that, that was like, that's kind of new to me. And, and I thought that had to do with the fact that you can't just default and say, this is on the mass schedule, but rather, the priests who were celebrating it just had to go back to the bishop to get permission. That's how I read it. Yeah, well, I, I would hope you're right. I'm afraid I don't think you are, but it'd be nice if you were. But there, and someone said, some, a couple other people have said that. Most people read it the way that I just, just said it. But if it's the way that you interpret it, all the better. Um, but I, I think he, he means not to have it in parish churches. Well, and so this is, um, this is an attempt to bring about a certain good. And so my understanding is that the goods that are attempted to be achieved here are um, an overcoming of division rather than in a fostering of unity. And that somehow that unity was connected to um, the negative attitudes, the judgmentalism, the overly harsh or narrow or rigid spirit that seemed to emanate from those who also, at least on social media platforms, were very strong proponents of the traditional Latin mass. That's sort of my summary of it, which just strikes me as, yeah, I guess I could identify two or three people that uh, come across with that spirit, but please, just if you think that that's the case, come to St. Joan of Arc in Post Falls, Idaho, and you'll be completely disabused of that idea. <laughs> it's just like, so not that. 
No, I, I, I agree with that. Though, as you know, if you, you look at social media, um, there are certainly strains of it that would confirm um, what he says he found. Um, you know, people are angry. Uh, they're hurt. Uh, you know, as I said, if, if someone, you know, puts a knife in your heart, you're going to scream. And you might not scream the nicest possible things. Um, and that's what's happening here. People are, um, they're frightened, they're grieving, they're hurt. Um, not everybody's behaving as well as they should. But to think that 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 any kind of that attitude um, deserves uh, not having access to the mass of the ages, the traditional Latin mass, just doesn't make sense. Um, you just don't take away the very thing that gives us graces and you don't take it away from everyone to punish a few. Um, and that's, that's what doesn't make sense. And as we all know, as I said, stated earlier, the, the abuses of the um, Novus Ordo for the last 50 years have just been egregious. And I mean, there's studies that have been done and like 98% of those who go to the traditional Latin mass accept all the teachings of the church. And you look at the Novus Ordo, and it's if you're lucky, it's fifty percent on any given topic. So you just so, have to say that again, because it's just that's something that I'm like, are, are like, are we really, really, really aware of that? Like, if you took a simple survey at St. Joan of Arc and that said, "Do you believe the Church's teaching on um, on contraception?" and are, what are you are you practicing fertility awareness or natural family planning in your married life? The answer would be, of course, I believe it, like 98% believe it, and 98% are living it. Uh, it would be, my, would be my guess. And then, the, you know, the, do you believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist? Do you attend Mass every Sunday, right? Are you attempting to foster faith in your home in intentional ways? Uh, it, the numbers would be extraordinarily high. You, you, it's like I, what I say is you don't just stumble into the traditional Latin Mass. It's a choice. It's a decision because it it changes your lifestyle. It changes like, how you show up at mass, how you're dressed, when you're there, how you're present at mass, what happens when you're done with mass, how about going to confession in relationship to mass. Like all of these things change because of literally you're in the presence of the traditional Latin mass and what does it call forth from you? No, that's exactly right. I mean, there was an article in the National Catholic Register by a priest who did a survey of like fifteen hundred people um, to deter in, in his own the traditional Latin Mass of all these questions that you just did. Do you go to Mass? Do you believe this? Contraception, abortion, homosexuality, and then he uh, contrasted that or compared contrasted that with the beliefs of the Novus Ordo people that were studied by Pew, um, one of the, the best research. Uh, institutes there is and uh it was overwhelming i mean the tlm people i said around 98 percent accepted every teaching of the church on the other ones anywhere from you know, like 30 percent on the real presence you know um up to 81 percent dissented or 87 percent i think dissented on contraception um it, it's it's as you would say it's absolutely striking uh the the difference between the two between the two Right. So, Janet, it's just so interesting, like the attitudes that my kids had about going to mass where we would um, we would, you know, be strong about you dress like our principle is you dress for a wedding. Right. So that's how you dress when you go to Sunday mass. 
Well, when we were going to the, the Novus Ordo Mass, the typical expression of the contrast was that the, the spirit among the people, the attitude was that it was a very casual act. And we were attempting to foster throughout our entire lives, raising our kids, that this is a holy act deserving of reverence on our part. And the challenge was that increasingly we stood out as like extreme. That was what our kids said. Uh, well, why are we so extreme compared to everyone else around us? And, and to be fair, it wasn't everyone. It just felt like everyone um, because we're there as one of the you know few large families at the parish that was casually celebrating the mass. And, and, and you know, we could, we could have a whole long talk about what does casual look like? people chit-chatting before Mass, their, their manner of dress, what time do they actually arrive at Mass, what happens immediately after Mass for people chatting um, in church, the, uh, the teaching or instruction around who should come forward to receive Holy Communion and how Communion was received. All of these things just came across as very casual or even, and casual is, is I'll tell you what, that's actually a uh, a higher level. I think a lot of my kids would have said, dad, and they've said this to me, dad, the priest is more bored than we are. Was the, because because of the perfunctory, just sort of matter of fact way that the priest just sort of went through the prayers. It was like, do you really mean what you're saying here? So, and that's sad, but unfortunately that's not like shockingly rare. That's more sort of par for the course for many Catholics experiences of the Novus Ordo Mass. And so then when you shift over, and now my kids know that we have to arrive at Mass 15 minutes early, and actually we get there a half an hour early for those kids. We go in two cars. We go a half an hour early for those kids that are going to confession before Mass, and then 15 minutes early just to make sure we get a seat. And no one even questions how to dress. All the girls are in modest dresses. All the, the, the boys are dressed in sh shirt and tie or suit and tie. And uh, the girls are all veiled now or wear classy hats. And they know that there is an expectation of, holy, like I never saw my kids not go forward to communion before. But when they hear at every single mass, communion is for those who aren't conscious of an unconfessed mortal sin. And so if you are in that state, go to confession before you come forward for Holy Communion and by a practicing Catholic, right? And so I've actually had my kids like stay behind in the pew um, and not come forward for Holy Communion. Like that's a stunner. And then after mass, nobody moves. We all fall and kneel and we pray a prayer of thanksgiving after mass that lasts at least a minute, if not five minutes, depending on the kid. And, and this is just the new habit. It's a habit of reverence rather than a habit that's casual. And look at the difference it makes in my kids' spiritual well-being. Like, how is this not a good thing? No, it's an amazing thing you, you, you just said. It's in, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those that, you know, I, I sit up front because I'm short and I have to see and I can only hear if I'm close enough. Um, and the one advantage to that is that I get to observe the altar boys closely, which I find to be one of the most edifying portions of the whole mass. I mean, you, you get to, I think our probably youngest is probably five. Um, and then it goes up to, you know, college boys and they're all 
so disciplined and they're just so um, focused on everything. You rarely see them even this time. The first time I saw one little boy that share a little laugh with another another boy, you know, and they were just so trying so hard not to laugh, you know, because they knew it wasn't right. But just the way that they look at the priest, the way that they look at each other, the way they make certain that they're lined up just right. And you can, their parents tell me, these kids are fighting to to serve. They've got many more people, boys to serve than they can handle. And so the minute they get called, they go. And if there's a mass that's an early morning mass, those kids, they say they get it for nothing except for early morning TLM mass. And they're, they're, they're ready to go and ready to do their job. Oh my gosh. And your kid said the priest seems as bored as we are. I mean, that's an incredible statement. And just contrasting it with these young altar boys that are, it just warms my heart beyond words um, to see the reverence with which they serve the mass. And of course, the, they all want to proceed up the ranks. They're all, they all want to be the master of ceremony someday. And you can just see they're doing their best to, to learn it. Now, Tom, I did find that I did go on and get the document and it, it, it really does say it can't be done in a parish churches. This is what it says. Um, it says um, the bishop is to de- designate one or more locations where the faithful adherents of these groups may gather for the Eucharistic celebrations. Not, however, in the parochial churches and without the erection of new personal parishes. So he's to designate one or more locations where they can gather, but not in parochial churches. And then it says, this is even, you know, no, I haven't seen people talk about this because I think the, that one takes their breath away. The next one says to establish at the designated locations, the days on which Eucharistic celebrations are permitted. So it doesn't even assume there's going to be a regular Sunday mass. And it, it just, you have to ask, you, it, it, it's just, it's amazing to me. Uh, at our parish, um, the, the priest now is, is doing any kind of special feast. He'll say, you know, the, this feast, the precious blood is on this evening. So we're going to do a, a, a Latin mass at 730. And then I say, okay, there's another special feast coming up. It's, we're going to do, you know, so we're here on Sunday that these new, uh, we're going to have, and they're, they're all very well attended. It's not packed, but very well attended. But all that's being taken away. Um, you know, what a couple of friends have said to me, they say, you know, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Why are they doing this? Then I'll say, it doesn't make sense. And I, this is going to sound terribly cynical and critical, but it, I think it's logical. Um, it doesn't make sense if your purpose is to um, increase the number of very faithful people in the church and to feed and nurture the souls of those who are totally committed to the teaching of the church, then it doesn't make any sense. If your purpose is to change the teaching of the church and to break with tradition, it makes a lot of sense, right? So it's like people are so mystified. And I say, that's because you're assuming that the, and you know, you hate to to question motivations and probably people are gonna say it's so wrong, but um, the evidence has been pretty overwhelming. That, that, uh, that there are those in the hierarchy that want to um, build a new church and they want to get rid of the old church and have a new church. 
in which the old morality, you know, that we accept LGBTQ people, not just accept them as our brothers and sisters in the Lord, which we do, of course, we love them, but we accept and bless um, their lifestyles. It's totally different, right? We allow the divorced and remarried without benefit annulment to go to communion. In fact, maybe we'll just open up communion to everybody. Uh, we don't withhold communion from politicians that are very manifestly advancing such horrific things as, as abortion. Um, that's a different church. That's a new church. And if you get people saying, well, we are a new church. We have a new mass. We don't even allow the old mass. Well, then you say, okay, join the new church. The old church is gone. And I think that's what's happening here. The, the reality is that you have an ever-increasing number of fervent, intentional Catholic families who have found a powerful home in the traditional Latin Mass. A lot of these folks are at diocesan parishes. And if those priests are not permitted to somehow continue to celebrate in those parishes, I, I am wondering if we're going to get a huge influx over at St. Joan, where, you know, it's full already. So it's going to be, I don't know what's going to happen there. And, and then sadly, there'll be people who go to the SSPX. So you talk about a kind of increasing uh, a sense of um, disunity and divisiveness. It's just going to create a, a larger uh, uh, chasm between Catholics who long to continue to nurture their family and faith and what they're no longer able to easily access. Well, as I said, if, if we're not allowed to, um, if we're not allowed to worship anymore in our parish churches uh, using the TLM, um, again, it, it turns us into some sort of pariahs and, and you know, that we're or, or lepers. You can't come in here. You, you are not allowed here. This is not your church. This is the church of the new church, not the old church. And we're just going to let you do that until you die away. And we're not going to allow new priests to do it. They have to have special permission. And again, I've never been a cynical person, but I'm thinking this young priest has to go to his bishop and say, or I want to learn the, the traditional Latin mass. And then he says, well, I have to consult with Rome. And if it just seems to me you're just asking priests to sort of out themselves. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, I'm going to tell you who are the conservatives around here, so we don't don't we we, we can get rid of them. And right, and put and a that, really huge obstacle in the way. Talk about like, you know, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm saying we're going to put a huge obstacle in your way that is going to make you visible and maybe put you in a in a in a light that you know you may not want to be in. So now, what do you want me to do? Right. So that's a, that would be a sad outcome. It would be a sad. And I think it's even going to be a, a sadder outcome. Um, I mean, the reports are that the um, seminarians are very interested in the traditional Latin mass. Our the Sacred Heart Marriage Seminary has been teaching those who want to learn it for some time. And believe me, I don't think they would be doing that, except that the bishops want them to do that. Um, the seminaries don't do anything the bishops don't want, especially something as radical as teaching men how to say the traditional Latin mass. And they're doing it because I think for many reasons, I think that many reasons, it seems to me they have discovered the reverence there and it just blows them away. I think they don't buy the statement that I've been, been thrust, it's been 
just pushed at me for decades, you know, is that young people like this new music, young people like this contemporary music in the mass. Well, and now they're saying old people like this music. It's the music that they've had their whole life. The old people have to have this music at mass. And I want to say, I was a young person. I am an old person. I have never liked it, but nobody's ever asked me. Nobody's ever asked me. So how do we know that? So I think, I think these young men are saying, no, that my generation, the young generation, is drawn to this Latin mass. I mean, I always said, you know, why, how do you know the young don't like the Latin mass? They've never experienced it. And now that they're experienced it, they're flocking to it. And so you want to say, I, I feel a bit vindicated here. For those who have told me that young people like the guitar masses, um, I'm saying, I'm not getting that sense. I do think the old people do. I'm one of the oldest people at the mass I go to. All, all the old people go to the Novus Ordo. The young people are, are at the um, traditional Latin mass. And I think they, they and they know they peep, their people want it. And so when they, they become ordained, they want to be, this to be one of the things that they can offer. Um, and, and, and they're not saying we're not going to say the Novus Ordo. They're at a seminary where the Novus Ordo is the, the norm. Um, they're not rejecting it in, in the least, but they're wanting to give the fullness of the, the options to the faithful that, um, that exist. So to think that, you know, we're going to be shuffled off to gymnasiums now because somehow this is, um, you know, this is forbidden stuff that they're going to just sort of tolerate until we die off. Well, I want to say the, the young people, it's going to take them a long time to die off. And of course, what Francis has done is that he's made it clear that he can, that some, some people have said, I mean, this is the most um, confrontational uh, to a previous Pope um, document that's ever been written that just very clearly says, I am overturning what John Paul II, St. John Paul II, and the living Pope Emeritus, Pope Benedict, um, permitted. I am overturning what they did. That's a remarkable thing. The hope that it gives us, I hate to say it, is that some Pope in the future will peel this back um but it, it is this what we're going to have a sort of like okay you know in this pontificate this is a, the tlm is allowed in the next pontificate it's not allowed the next one is allowed <laughs> does that make any sense i mean benedict corrected an error it was a, an egregious error uh how many people left the church in 1970 when paul the sixth said not, a lot of young people don't know this but I mean, again, we have this mass that everybody everywhere has gone to through all time. It's developed organically. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. You can go to the same mass in Japan and Chicago. It's the same mass. You can go to South Africa. It's the same mass. We're a united church. All right. And then along comes the Novus Ordo written by Bunini. All right. A Mason. Not 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 consistent with the requirements of Vatican II. I mean, when they say that the TLM people reject Vatican II, I want to say the Novus Ordo people that don't have a, give a prominence of place to Latin are rejecting Vatican II because that, that's what Vatican II says. It says the liturgy should continue to give primacy of place to Latin, all right? So who's breaking? Well, that Novus Ordo broke, right? And in order to enforce it on people, 
uh, Paul VI said it couldn't be said anymore. The traditional Latin mass couldn't be said anymore, except to some old priests who couldn't be expected to adjust. And then there was a bizarre one where some, who was it? Um, Dorothy Sayers, I think, in, uh, in England wrote a letter. I think she was the one, wrote a letter saying that all these artists and people of refinement uh, couldn't live without the traditional Latin mass. Could they be allowed to say it? <laughs> and Paul VI said yes. My God. So, um, so anyway, uh, so it was stopped and a lot of people left the church. Now, I have members of my own family, cousins and brothers uh, who left the church. And every once in a while, they'll, they'll come back. They'll come to a Latin mass with me. And the first thing they say leaving the mass is, you know, the church left me. I didn't leave the church. That's the, ch that's the mass I grew up with. Um, the mass that I've seen it since then is not is not the mass I know, and there is that sense the church left these people. They didn't leave the church. They were going to mass every Sunday. They were there doing their devotions and everything. And all of a sudden, this mass that um, the, the hymns they don't recognize, guitars as you said, casual dress, priests just all over the altar without any dignity of of, of demeanor or walking or anything. Um, and you're saying, they're, they're saying, I, this, I don't feel like, as I, I, I've been saying recently, that if the, the way in which people have tweaked the Novus Ordo in, in accord with what the church wants it to be, I mean, making it a very reverential um, occasion. And especially if the whole thing is said in Latin, the Novus Ordo in Latin is a beautiful mass. It's not the same as a traditional Latin mass. It doesn't have the same prayers, but a lot of the dignity of the, of the traditional mass is, is transferred over to the Novus Ordo. If you go to the Novus Ordo in Latin, or if you go to the Novus Ordo that said in a very um, reverent way, ad orientum, et cetera, they seem much closer to each other than a lot of the Novus Ordo masses seem to each other. You go to a Novus Ordo Mass in, in one parish uh, one week and go another one the next week, say, Gee, this doesn't seem like the same Mass at all. The, the difference between the way the priest says it is just extraordinary. So, yeah, I'm talking today with Janet Smith yeah. here on the program, and um, she's sharing some of her thoughts and reflections about this recent document by Pope Francis that is um, turning back, it's abrogating um, some of the permissions that Pope uh, Benedict um, released as it relates to the traditional Latin mass and the freedom that priests have to, um, uh, to worship, to celebrate mass in their parishes. And it, we'll, we'll see how these, uh, these um, implications are going to continue to unfold. So, you know, one of the ways that I think about um, the shift that's happened in my life, and, and it's somewhat related to the Novus Ordo mass versus the traditional Latin mass, is that in my efforts to evangelize, I was always taught and even promoted the idea that without losing our identity, we ought to seek to be relevant. So that was the hinge, was that relevance would be meaningful, would be attractive, would make connections with the people of today. But you have to do it in a way that doesn't betray your own identity. So that was the, the tension. And, and I think in some ways that you see get played out in the Novus Ordo and the new mass with the music, with the style of liturgy, with the personality of the priest, with the environment in which the, uh, the church is um, offering the mass, the sacred liturgy. And what I realized is that the real, the real hinge isn't the relationship between identity and relevance, 
but identity and reverence that if you live your identity well in the sacred liturgy, it must, there's a necessary overflow in reverent expressions. And believe it or not, as countercultural, as seemingly discordant as it seems, that is magnetic. That will draw people and keep people, young people, more than the relevant identity dynamic. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, yes, I, I think, um, I mean, as our culture just completely careens out of control, that's what completely careens out of control, uh, that there is no such thing as reverence for the truth, respect for the truth. There's, there's no um, a, a attempt to be consistent or fair or anything. Um, people have power, use it to advance their own um, agendas without any concern for fair play, justice, the law, or anything. It's an unbelievably confusing world. I don't know, you know, my, my 1968 when I graduated from college was plenty confusing, but not remotely, not remotely like it is today. And I, I just feel for these young people who are growing up in a world in which you're told that you're, 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 you're um, homophobic if you refuse to, call, to allow biological men to, pre to you know, participate in women's sports. Um, I mean, if that's, you know, and that abortion is loud, et cetera, et cetera, we, we, we allow old people to die in, in nursing homes because of COVID alone, alone, alone. Any one of these people would rather uh, die in, in the arms of their loved ones and live another 15 minutes in order to die alone. I mean, it's, it's one of the greatest um, uh, tragedies of our time that we thought somehow it made sense uh, to allow I don't know, New York, New York State, 15,000, I don't know how many thousand people to die alone of COVID in nursing homes. Um, so kids see this, they see this and they say, I don't want that relevance brought into my church. I, I want a, a place where there is stability, where there is truth, where there is beauty, where there is goodness, all right? And that's what they find in the traditional Latin mass. These young people bringing their children there, they're in, they know they are in a hostile world. They are in a world that is hostile to everything that they want to teach their kids. And um, they, they need the support. They need the support of the liturgy. They need the support of the other people that go to the liturgy. They are building incredibly strong communities because they're not going to be able to depend at all on the culture. My parents... Uh, you know, they raised us in a culture that was largely sympathetic uh, to their values. Um, virtually everybody up and down the street and uh, the small town I grew up in, we all believed the same things. We believed in so-called family values, fidelity of husbands to wife, going to church on Sunday, um, no lying, no cheating, no stealing, no pornography. <laughs> you know, it was pretty basic stuff. And everybody agreed. And now you don't. Um, and I mean, people are now, I'm having trouble keeping some friends who are mad at me because I haven't gotten vaccinated. They basically don't want to talk to me anymore. Um, they think I'm completely irrational. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel that way about them. I understand why they made their decision. I, I didn't make that decision, but I don't think it's a reason to um, sever a relationship and a friendship. But that's what these young people are dealing with. Uh, things are, are just great. They're insane. So it's, it's to bring, to try to make the church relevant, um, 
it would mean to be relativistic, subject, subjectivistic, um, lying, cheat, and steal, and etc. Whereas the the church is meant to be. I mean, this this whole notion, like again, I call the mass the traditional Latin mass and the mass of the ages because one of the reasons we're Catholics is that we believe this church goes all the way back to Christ. All right. Um, and we want to be in that church. We want to be in that church that has an unbroken succession of um, apostolic leaders that go back to Christ. And we want the teachings that are established by the church throughout the ages, again, independent of the insanity of our times. Um, and then for some. Well, and Janet, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cut you off sure, there. Believe it or of not, course. you've been extremely generous with your time and you've actually. <laughs> We are now out of time, but this has been an incredibly fascinating, and I hope, I'm sure, I'm actually really confident, very helpful conversation for folks listening today who are wondering, how do I make sense of this? Uh, folks, I do want to encourage you, if you're on Facebook, go to Janet E. Smith. Go to her page. You can follow her. She is so good. Janet, you do such a service on Facebook to post articles and then to try to help at least foster a kind of dialogue and, and be reasonable about it. So you really do a wonderful job of that. And that was really the impetus for me to reach out to say, you know what, Janet, I need your voice to help <laughs> sort of calm the storm out here a little bit and also give some encouragement and some guidance. And you did that today very well. Thank you, Janet. Well, thank you, Tom, for giving me a, a form and, and just letting me rant. I actually got a sweet note from a bishop today. And you will know who it is. Bishop Strickland just wrote me a note. And he said, I suspect you're feeling really hurt. Do you want to call and talk to me? Like, what? Who does that? Um, and he said, you can rant and rave if you want to. But see, now my friend Tom has given me that opportunity. So <laughs> so I don't have to I don't have to bend the good bishop's ear. So, so I thank you. I'll very- send you a recording of this. And then you can just say, Bishop Strickland, listen to this. And then give me a call if you want. Yeah, I'll, I'll post it too, for sure. You send me the link. God bless you. I'll do that. Janet, thank you so much for your time today. You are welcome, Tom. Thank you.